dealing not only with our own relationships, but also with relationships of others. And so this morning, I have asked Stephanie Tucker to come and to share out of her heart um, a message as it relates uh, to some of the ministry world that her and her husband, Bob, are involved in. They operate um, New Life Spirit Recovery Treatment Center and uh, New Life, um, New Spirit of Life <laughs> Ministries over in Huntington Beach, but a year or so ago, they moved here to the Temecula Valley. They've become a part of our congregation. Uh, Bob serves as one of the elders on our church board. And um, I want you to hear Stephanie's heart as it relates to both her and her husband and the ministry that they do. But I want you to hear it not in terms of, oh, that's a ministry that they do, but that's a ministry that we do. We are to heal broken lives, and broken lives deal with broken relationships. And sometimes we don't seem as broken, but they're dysfunctional. And they're not aligned in the manner that God wants to see them aligned. And so Stephanie um, is a great communicator, her heart. She's authored some books on the subject that she's a part of. I know even uh, if you're familiar with James Dobson and Focus on the Family, they've recommended her works. And uh, it is going to be a pleasure for you to hear from the Lord through her this morning and so will you welcome Stephanie Tucker. Twenty-five years ago, I was a broken young lady. I was in an alcoholic, abusive relationship. I'm supposed to go up here, aren't I? And I was desperate for help. I had somehow, in the course of that relationship, lost my identity, lost my sense of purpose. I somehow had managed to just let everything that I really believed in go. And I didn't know how I ended up there. I didn't want to be there, but I reached out for help. And if, you've ever, if anyone has ever been in that situation, maybe no one here has been, you come to a point of desperation, you're willing to do anything. So I walked into a meeting called Al-Anon, and I listened to people share their life story about living with alcoholics. And you know what I did? I left that meeting and I dumped the fiance because I said, I don't want to live my life like that, like those people, those people. And I walked away and I pulled my bootstraps up and I said, I'm going to be independent. I'm never going to need a man like that again because it was him, it wasn't me. And about 10 years went by, and I found myself in the same situation. Imagine that. The glaring terminology of Al-Anon and codependency was about the last thing I wanted to associate myself with. But there it was, right in front of me. I had one group telling me, you need Al-Anon. I had another group telling me, you need Jesus. I went the route of Jesus. Now, I'm not slamming Al-Anon. Hang on for a minute, okay? I went to the church. I sought help from the church. Most people that hear the terminology codependency say you're, you're related to an alcoholic. You have an alcoholic in your life. And I certainly had some of those dynamics at different phases and different places in my life. But that was not my core issue. That was a symptom to it. Finding unhealthy relationships was a symptom. It was not my problem. My problem was that I didn't really know what love was. And I didn't even know what the brokenness was that lived inside my heart. I'm getting messy today. Who wants to talk about this when they go to church? I'm going to talk about it today. 
I was a PK, by the way, a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. No disrespect to my parents, but I learned love in a faulty manner because some of the dynamics that were going on in my own home. Love was something you did. It wasn't something you, you, you were. It was something you did. There was a system of approval. There was a system of performance. If I was good enough, then I was worthy of love. And if I wasn't good enough, if I didn't do the right things, if I didn't comply to the standards that were set before me, then I wasn't worthy of love. And so I worked on a treadmill, on a Christian treadmill my whole life. And you know what happened when I stepped back in that church all those years later and tried to resolve why I had ended up in this place again? I went back on that treadmill, back on the Christian treadmill. You know what? You know how I'm going to get rid of these bad men in my life, these bad relationship choices? I'm just going to be a good girl for God. I was bad and now I'm going to be good. And that was the mindset I brought in. And you know what? I did everything. And I'm not telling you not to serve. So I just got to put a little prerequisite out there. I'm not telling you not to serve. I walked through the door. I did everything. I signed up for everything. I was like the model child of Christianity. But you know what was really going on in the back of my heart? Buried underneath the coverings of how I wanted to appear externally? I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. There's something about me that's fundamentally flawed. And no matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I work, something about me just isn't acceptable. And see, that belief system drove me to unthinkable things within a Christian framework. I left a professional career. Some of you have heard this story before. I've shared it before up here. I, lived, I, I left a professional career to go to the mission field, believing that that finally would satisfy what God expected and wanted of me. And it was there that I had a Damascus Road moment. It wasn't that I wasn't a Christian, I was. It wasn't that I didn't know Jesus, I did. But I had a misunderstanding of the system of love by which he operates. And that system of love was so deeply flawed. And when he encountered me, and when he exposed himself to me, and when I learned the heartbeat of my father, when I learned the intensity of the love of Jesus, I could not believe it. I had it all wrong. Everything about relationship ideals in my life was wrong. Everything about who I thought my father was and how he operated was wrong. I was deceived. It was a counterfeit system that had been created in my life that sabotaged my very ability to be aligned with the God who created me and with the purpose he had for me and with the identity that he birthed in my mama's wound and then gave over to me at some point. I didn't know any of that. I was a broken messed up girl. But let me tell you what, that story wasn't just my story. That story happened many thousands years ago in the garden. I like to blame Adam and Eve for everything. <laughs> everything. Our problems started with them. If they didn't have their act together, we'd be good. The garden represents the place of original connection where resources were accessible. Let me tell you what, you guys. Everything in the Christian journey isn't about what we do. It's about what we're connected with. What resources we're able to, are able to nourish our heart. And see, the, the garden in its original form, relationships were created and aligned, as Pastor Kerry's been speaking on, 
so that when we have God's love in us, we have the accessible resources to love other people and to be loved and to be nourished in and of ourselves. See, in codependency, that terminology that no, I, I noticed Pastor Kerry couldn't even spit it out of his mouth. It's got a stigma attached to it. But let me tell you, just a little heads up. There's 20 million families in this country that are dealing with addiction. And I'm not even talking about, about what I talked about with the church's stuff. I mean, I'm pure addiction. This is a real prevalent issue, and we need to understand that. But codependency, you know what codependency is? It was a vacuum in my soul that was looking for something or someone to fill what only God could fill at that point in my life. That's what it was. And that's what disconnection is. See, when Adam and Eve, when, when they fell, the tragedy of that wasn't, oh, they sinned, and oh, they got kicked out. They got punished. They got kicked out. No, they lost their connection to the resources of the Spirit of God. They lost their connection. They were operating from brokenness. And broken doesn't fill. Filled fills. Broken doesn't fill. And so in brokenness, in disconnection, they were without resources, and they started to look to something or someone other than him to satisfy what was missing and needed. And we all fall into this trap. I still fall into this trap if I'm not careful and I'm not paying attention of looking for my circumstances, of looking for security in people, looking for my identity in something other than being satisfied by the spirit of the living God. Now, let me tell you where my biggest deception laid. My biggest deception was not in doing some wrongful crime or living a, a, a muck out. And my, my husband was a, he was a bad boy. I wasn't sitting in a prison cell. I, I was deceived by a counterfeit system that I call codependency. Codependence, am I supposed to be clicking this? Oh, you guys are doing it for me. Okay, good. The system of codependence misaligns the ordering of God. And the mindset is prevalent in the church because, which I'm so grateful Pastor Kerry taught the way he did, because the mindset, I was, I was like, what if he teaches joy? The prevalence in the church is joy. Jesus, others, yourself. Jesus, others, yourself. But he didn't teach that, did he? He said, Jesus, yourself, others. Why? Because you need it in you to give it away. Now, the system, uh, this backward system of codependence makes people the source and the resource and the need. And I cannot tell you the level of darkness and dysfunction when you allow a person to be the source of reference of how you should think, feel, and make choices in your life. I cannot tell you the level of darkness, the level of deceitfulness, the level of suffering and pain. Yes, addiction is bad. Yes, chemical substance addiction is bad. But let me tell you what, a person addiction is right there in line. In fact, sometimes we say in our program that the family members are actually in worse condition than the active alcoholic or addict. Some of you might be shocked to hear that. But it's an emotional condition that's very, very, very painful. I'm going to try to give you a little diagnosis. I know it's not pleasant. I know it's not pleasant. And I know some of you are going, where is this in the Bible? Right? Is there any codependency in the Bible? First of all, let me tell you, codependency is a modern term. It's not a biblical term. But there are a whole bunch of flaming codependents in the Bible. <laughs> King David was one of them. So was Samson. Remember Samson? Anywhere you see the people-pleasing dynamic, you see them 
putting somebody in the place. 1970s, the terminology co codependency was coined just to describe the family member of an addict. I'm going to use it in a broader sense. And in ministry, I use it in a much broader sense. Try to get away from some of the bad stigma attached to it because it's depending on someone other than God. That's pretty much it. And it is addictive behavior. Believe me, it is. It is. Causes you to do things that you normally wouldn't do. But my favorite one, my favorite story in the Bible is out of Song of Solomon 1.6. If you've ever read Song of Solomon as a love story, it's really, really beautiful. And, and, and she's saying here, don't stare at me because I am dark. The sun has darkened my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards so I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. Now I want to go in some of the actual dynamics that make codependency such a destructive force in a person's life yet look so much to the real thing. It's counterfeit, and it's deceitful. You have a picture of a woman that's actually in a form of oppression, but she's doing everything right and good. She's complying. But there's something going on where there's, there's dysfunction, there's brokenness happening in that family system. And she has the obligation to try to satisfy and consume the needs and the desires of other people. But in doing so, she's recognizing that she has no, nothing to offer her own needs. Do you see that? That is just going to begin to help us understand what's going on behind this dynamic. Children that are raised in dysfunction are actually dealing with a series of unmet needs. Unmet needs are, are not things that we see with our eyes. They're things that are formed in our heart. When a child isn't nourished properly, isn't loved, isn't taught that love is free, isn't taught that love is just there no matter what, they learn ways to improvise and compensate. We see the, the addict form in the same family system as somebody with codependent mentalities. People just learn how to act out different when needs aren't met. So the system of codependence that I'm going to talk about today is a system that's formed when children weren't properly loved, accepted, valued, they maybe had crisis, had a sense of depletion, loss and rejection, all of these things can create maladapted survival roles. Survival, think about being um, in a bad storm and you're without resources, you don't have power, you don't have electricity, you don't have food. You're in survival mode because you're lacking basic needs. How are you going to improvise? How are you going to compromise? How are you going to manage that? You're going to have to come up with new strategies. Well, I want you to go into the heart of a child who's, who's been raised or is being raised in destructive circumstances, whether it's alcoholism or something else, just unavailability, and they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to live minus basic resources. Do you see that? And see, when they, they have to survive, they come up with these ways to do that. And that's all we're looking at. We're looking at a system of survival. How am I going to get these needs met that aren't being met? Well, do you know what the heart of a little, um, a little child that forms into these codependent behaviors? I'm not here to give people labels, by the way. I don't believe in labels other than I'm a, living, I'm a child of the living God. I don't run around telling people I'm a codependent. I don't. Believe me. But in the heart of that child that develops in a codependency, you know what they're saying? They're saying something's, something's wrong in my family. Maybe I can fix it. Maybe I can fix it. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not doing the right thing. Maybe, I'm, maybe if I made dinner every single night for mommy, maybe then I would make things right. 
Mommy and Daddy are fighting. Maybe, maybe I made them mad. You know what? I'm going to try to do something to make Mommy and Daddy feel better. See that? It's a mindset that forms. It's a relational skill, actually, that's being developed that says it's my job to change and fix what's wrong. Some of the kids that, that develop in these environments actually become many adults. They actually take on characteristics of adults when they're five, six years old. They're the adult, their parent is the child. This does all kinds of messed up stuff to the heart of a child because they're not learning how to be nourished. They're not learning how to be fed in the spaces and the places and in the ways that God intended them to be fed. Codependence is a counterfeit system of love that consists of dramatic efforts to please perform and earn acceptance, even when other people are unavailable, abusive, or disconnected. It's a system of survival. I'm just trying to get my needs met. People that struggle with codependence believe if they can fix or change a relationship, they will also, it's not spoken need, let me tell you what, when you're operating by the system, you're not telling people, excuse me, I need something from you. Excuse me, would you please love me? God forbid you would ever say that. You're strategically developing ways to try to set things up so that people will respond to you the way you need and want them to respond. They don't do it because you end up going after people that have nothing to offer. And so the cycle repeats itself over and over and over and over and over again. Some of you all know what I'm talking about. And if it's not in your own life, in your own journey, you know people like that. You go, why is she with that guy? Doesn't she know she deserves better than that? It could be a guy with a girl. It's not just one-sided. I'm going to look at some lovely symptoms here, and then we're going to go into some hope factors because I'm not going to park here too long. I teach about 50 classes on this. Can you even believe that? Did you even think it was possible to teach 50 classes on codependency? I bet you you didn't. I'm going to try to nutshell this one for you. Symptoms of codependency, feeling overly responsible for the needs, emotions, and behaviors of others. Overly helps people that should be helping themselves, even if not invited to do so. Complies to people, even if it goes against personal beliefs. That's probably one of the hardest reasons why I couldn't relate to Jesus. Because my definition of love was compliance. If I fell in line with what he wanted, then I would be capable of being loved. Compliance and intimacy are worlds apart. Intimacy is vulnerability and exposure to who I really am. Compliance is I'm going to try to please you and and do what you think I should be doing. You see that? Complies to people even if it goes against personal beliefs. Feels a loss of identity. Becomes a product of what others need rather than a separate and whole person. Feels victimized by some people commissioned to rescue others. Most every person I've ever worked with in this dynamic, including in my own life, is in one capacity an absolute victim of powerless. I can't, I can't, I can't change. I can't, I can't, I can't do anything. But then turn right around and they also have a rescuing profile in their life. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix him. I'm going to fix her. I'm going to fix everyone. I'm here to fix, fix, fix. Because in some ways, they're projecting the rescuing that they desire in their own life, if that makes sense. And see, rescuing people is not our job. That's what got me in a lot of trouble. 
And in Christianity, we are even in more trouble if we try to rescue people. Because sometimes what happens is we stand in the way. We become a, a buffer between ourselves and the Jesus that they need in that situation to be their rescuer. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, not much more. Lacks the ability to set boundaries and protections. Can't say no. Attracts broken people as projects rather than mutually reciprocal relationships. See why I never wanted to identify with codependency? Well, kind of gnarly sounding. These are just symptoms, though. These aren't who a person is. This is what a person is doing, and most pe times people don't know they're doing this. You, you throw Christianity on top of this, and it can make it look pretty, even though it's broken underneath, and that's mostly who I work with. People that are dissolving codependency, but they have wrapped it up around Christianity most of their life, and they don't understand the difference. Finds value in doing rather than being. Carries a core sense of shame and unworthiness that drives poor relationship choices. Behaviors are the outworking of an internal system. Systems become formed out of survival. Please understand that. It's survival system. It's not who they are. It's what they're doing to get those needs met. How do you untangle from this? How do you untangle from this? Let me tell you what. I can give you all kinds of processes and procedures and, and, and knowledge and blah, 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 blah. And we can talk about it until we're blue in the face. And I have all kinds of curriculum, all kinds of things. But let me tell you what. There's one day in my life that changed the trajectory of everything I, everything I was, was, was going to become, everything that I was destined for. There was one particular day that changed that all. And it wasn't because I had my act together. It wasn't because I did something really good. It wasn't because I read the right book or went to the right church. It's because the Spirit of God chose in all his mercy to reveal himself to me in his fullness. And I encountered a living Jesus experientially. Not in my head, not theologically, not with book knowledge. I actually met the power of the Holy Spirit through an active, living, authentic relationship with Jesus. And it was astonishing. It was astonishing. The love of God is astonishing. I know that the only thing that people really need is to experience a full and active relationship with Jesus. And that when that is in place, if that is in place, they will have the resources they need to be set free and to live out their destiny. I know that. But there's all these barriers, there's all these prohibitors that come and block and barricade the ability. And see, our biggest enemy is not out there. Our enemy is in our own minds. It's the way we think. It's the, way, the beliefs that we house. And we don't do that intentionally. We're not walking around trying to have bad beliefs. We've learned them. We've acquired them in life. Life has taught us things. Relationships have taught us things. And we carry those beliefs as though they're our truth, and a lot of times we don't even know they're there. Listen to this. You want to know a remedy? Listen to this. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through what? Through his spirit. That's the resources that were lost in the garden. The disconnection that took place in the garden. Jesus came to restore that. What does Jesus give us? Unlimited resources. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down in God's love. Not in our activity, but in God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand this is my prayer 
for this church community, for all church communities. As all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Your head cannot fathom that. Your heart must experience that to make it real. Believe me on this. If you're going, I don't know if I've ever experienced the love of God, you probably haven't. And I don't say that to scare you or shame you, but to invite you to have a hunger to want that. Because there is more to the Christian life. Some of you might be saying, is there more? Is there more to the Christian life? You might not admit that, but you might be, isn't there more? Isn't there more? Yes, there's more. The spirit of almighty God is a powerful spirit, a good spirit. We should be different when he's active in our life. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully, to understand fully, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. What is love? I summarize it very, very briefly as this. That love is the affectionate desire for your well-being. That when God is after you, he is after the totality of your well-being, body, soul, and spirit. All his intentions and his actions towards you are for your good and they're for your benefit. Now, if we can start there, that that's what love is, we can start wiping away false love pretty quickly because some of the relationships that claim love really aren't love, are they? They're grabbing to take. See, if I bring a need into my marriage with my husband and I, I bring that need into him and it's really a need that God's supposed to meet, but I ask him to meet that for me, I have just in essence placed him as my personal God. And you know what? I'm never going to be satisfied with what he offers me. I'm going to blame him. I'm going to, all kinds of things are going to erupt. You see that? I didn't marry him when he was dysfunctional, right, honey? You had already been turned into an angel, so. Sometimes that's one of the hardest things for us to learn is to how to recognize and see how we're, how we're actually living and what we're living from and what we're living off. It's hard. It's humbling, really. But I'm asking you, no matter what your status is, if, if you're going, why did Pastor Carrie put this woman up here to talk about codependency? Okay? If that's where you're at, listen to this part at least, please. Because this is relevant for all of us. What does love look like? We spend a lot of time in recovery processes assessing and diagnosing the conditions because people don't understand the conditions. You say, well, why do you have to do that? Why do you have to go through all that messy stuff? It's kind of like going through the Good Friday to get to the Sunday. You have to be able to see things that are broken for what they are before God can actually give you the grace to restore your life. We call it denial when people will not walk into the truth because they just don't want to go there because it's too unpleasant. Thank you very much. I'll create my own reality. I'll walk in my own understanding. I don't need to hear about anything dysfunctional or broken. That's for those people over there. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. I guarantee you each one of us has got some kind of messy thing going on in us. Do you agree? We all do. We're broken human beings. I mean, we're not, we have not arrived. How does God work? How does he operate within us? And I'll say the one thing, I've been kind of talking about it for a minute, the first and most important thing is that we have a spirit of light, truth, and vulnerability operating in our life. This is where deception comes in. 
Light is not just, oh, I got the light on me. I'm walking in God's plan. Light is a flashlight that's going into your soul. You hear the word. You don't just, you're like, oh, I'm going to study the word. I'm going to study the word. No, the word studies you. The word goes in you. It studies you. It tells you what's broken. It tells you what's going on. See, if we're not willing to get honest about where our brokenness lives, God doesn't have anything to work with. See, in codependency, I'm dealing with people that are covered in good works. They're covered in their own sense of goodness, and that is a very hard dynamic to break down. How do you tell someone they're doing something wrong when they're doing everything right? I can't tell them that. I let them find that for themselves. Usually they'll come into our programs because they're so tired and worn down and burdened by unhealthy, toxic relationships. And we start there. We don't go in there and go, you know what? You're all screwed up and messed up and blah, blah, blah. We don't do that. Because remember that little child in them is the one that we're really trying to rescue. That little child that learned how to do life in a faulty way, that precious little child is who we're really trying to rescue and say to that child, what did you learn? Where did you learn this? Do you understand that this system is now in place in your adult life and it's affecting you? We need truth. God does not operate in pretentious, pretentious ways, you guys. He will not sit into our systems that we've created of who we think he is. He still loves us, but he won't be powerful and active in our life because we will grieve him. Vulnerability is the capacity to come as you are, and this is the beautiful gift of love. Do you want to know, according to Carolyn Leaf, she is a, a Christian neuroscientist. Some of you might know who she is. She, she talks about mental health under, this, under kind of the notion of today's culture versus the Christian model. And she says that, you know, our brain... One of our, our, our biggest dysfunctions in our brain, it, also, it affects our mind and our emotions, but it also affects our physiological brain, is when we say all this Christian language, but we don't really mean it, and we're not really living it. And she said that it is more effective if a whole body of believers like this would just go ahead and just lay it all out. Now, you don't have to lay it out to each other because you might all freak each other out. But you just go before God tonight and you just say, you know what, God, I, if I've been trying to cover things over in my life, I'm just going to get honest with you. And some of you might be mad at him. That's one of the most common things we deal with. People are mad at God. Just say you're mad at him. You're like, well, how's that going to help me? I'll tell you what. That is an atmosphere of truth that he can now work with. In this place of vulnerability and love, is where God does the most work. And you know what she says? This is fascinating. She says immediately, once you do that, if you haven't changed one other thing in your life, you've just been honest with God, that already your neuroscience is changing, your brain structure is changing. Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine that we could be creating some of the brain dysfunction that now we're asking the world to resolve on our behalf because we're not willing to get honest with God? I feel like this is kind of a harsh message, you guys. I didn't intend for that. I am passionate about the truth because I know what deception is. Oh, but for the grace of God that we would have eyes to see and a heart to perceive who he is and who we are. It's not just our corruptness in us. That's what he wants to pull away and dispose of. Do you see that? 
so he can make us into who he ordained and created to be. Each one of you is precious. You're a product of the heart of the Father. You're an idea in the Father's heart. You've been planted like a seed in this world to fulfill a purpose only you can fill. But that destruction, it sabotages that. God says, just get honest with me. I spent a lot of time on one. I'm going to have to fly through the rest of these. Love is a choice, not something forced. Codependency is bondage. Relationships are based on control. Relationships are based on need. Nobody's choosing, everybody's needing. This creates many breakdowns, which I don't have time to talk about. Many unthinkable breakdowns. But see, love is a choice. Jesus chose us, and he invites us to a relationship by choice. He's a gentleman. He does not impose himself. You say, where's Jesus? What did you ask him? Jesus will only react to the questions that you ask him. Do you know that? I mean, he loves you no matter what, but he operates by choice. And he invites us to do that in our human relationships as well. And I just don't have time to pull that apart anymore. So I'm going to go to the next one. Love is free rather than earned. Perhaps this is the biggest barrier we have as children of God, if you were really honest. In the back places of your soul, when nobody's looking, how do you find your Christian security in Christ? How do you find it? Do you go through that checklist of the things that you're doing right? I certainly, I certainly still have a tendency to do that. Love is free because it's not based on us or who we are or what we do. It's based on him, who he is, and what he's already done for us. Grace was the, the hardest thing for me to understand because I worked and I worked and I worked and I strived and I strived. It was effort, effort, effort. And Jesus comes along and says, I don't want none of that. Grace just says, I'm enough. Stop striving and know that I am God. Stop trying to be. Stop trying to do. Just let me in. Let me be the power source on your behalf. My grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in your weakness. When I am weak, then I am strong. Why would that be? That was my life verse. Why would, when I am weak, then I'm strong? Because my humanness is what, it's the barrier between me and walking out in the fullness of the spirit life. Oh, that's a whole nother message too. Okay, let's go to the next one. Love has healthy limits rather than enables bad behavior. We're just supposed to love. 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 You know someone in your life struggling with addiction. I'm just supposed to love them. I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to love them. Yes, you are. What does that mean? How do you love that person? Let's go back to that original definition where I said that love is the affectional, affectionate interest in your well-being. If I'm loving someone in their brokenness and in their addiction and they're killing themselves and I'm bringing soup over, and I'm, you know what, they went to jail. Let's all run to jail and bail out Bob. Sorry, just didn't want to use anyone else's name in case I might have, I don't know some of your names and I might have said your name. Let's be a missional church and go to the jail and rescue Bob. But you know what the affectionate interest in, in God's heart is, is that Bob finds the broken place in him that needs to be redeemed, and he uses that pain to drive him to his knees so that he'll want to get help up here. 
If we come along and, oh, let's help him. Oh, let's help him. Oh, oh, let's help him. You know what we end up doing? And it's well-intentioned. And this is the nature of codependency. Do you ever hear of the cycle of enabling? Yeah, teach that till I'm blue in the face with our family members in treatment. It's a very hard one to teach. You're not loving. You're actually hurting them. That is really hard, isn't it? You know why that's so hard? Is because the intentions are loving. The intentions are good. But we have to take that a step further and we say, what is this person's destiny? And what do they really need? Well, they need to deal with their issues. And if we keep padding that and, and rescuing and bailing them out from their bad choices, guess what? They never have to face their bad choices. They never have to see them because we pull them out before they even have a chance. I, I was the queen of that. I remember calling the judge with that ex, that crazy ex-fiance of mine, you know, why do you have him in jail? I mean, I can't even believe I did that. But I did. In my own mind, he was innocent. I needed to rescue him. Wow. Love forgives rather than shames and punishes. We need a redemptive God that's real. A redemptive God that's real. Shame is the, the residue of not being enough. Most people with codependent have been abused. They've been hurt. They've been maybe neglected. They've been on the victim side of a relationship. We come alongside them and we validate that because Jesus validates that. Jesus loves people. He, you know, one of the things I've learned with people, and I've had to learn this over time, is to just let people sit with Jesus before trying to tell them, like, do this, do that, go here, go there. Just let them sit and hang out with Jesus. Just let, let him love on them. But everyone is dealing with the shame issue. Everything, the power of redemption lies in forgiveness. Receiving it and offering it is the gateway. All the power this world tries to offer in the women's movement, I'm sorry if I'm going to throw it under the bus for a minute, but I am. It's fake power. It's phony, fake power. And I used to be one. I had enough male hatred in me where I could go, I'd go out there and march and blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you what, the heart of God isn't after that. He doesn't want retaliation. He's not looking for someone to heal so they can go ahead and hate all males or females. That's not the heart of the Father. We resolve all the issues in our program through healing processes through the gift of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness can be a process and it takes time and it takes healing. But love forgives. That's what love does. It doesn't hold grudges. It forgives. It doesn't retaliate. It forgives. And I'm going to leave it at this. The healing process, kind of summarizing everything we said, begins with a truth confrontation. A truth confrontation. I don't know who I'm talking to in here. It's a very different audience for me. I was, I was training a group of people for, to be uh, leaders in our organization. And, you know, I was telling them I was going to teach. I thought, it's going to be so different to teach. Because I, I know who I was teaching to there. They're all like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what your situations are. I don't know if I'm speaking into it. I don't know if I'm speaking over it. I don't know if, if maybe you have people this would apply to. I don't know. But I do know this, that truth confrontations are for all of us. Truth confrontations are, are we going to get real? That place of, um, like I said, Carolyn Leaf, I keep referring to her, but she calls it the love zone, where you get crazy honest with God in the love zone. 
there are roots and reasons why we think and why we do things we do. We're not just bad people. This messy dynamic I talked to you about, it wasn't because I was just a bad person. I was a broken person. There were roots and there were reasons. And see, God restores people at a rooted level. He stores people at a rooted level. He doesn't pull the fruit off and recreate the external transformation. He goes right to the heart of the matter, and he uproots it. And that's the beautiful gift, isn't it? Experiential love. Experiential love. How can I teach that? I can't. It's experiential. Everything is an experiential. I'm not like, it's just, it's just a feeling. I don't mean that. It's an encounter. Processing pain and hurt with Jesus. You know, we're, we're dealing with two dynamics when we're trying to break through ambition and self-efforts and even self-righteousness. That's one thing. That's one thing. But I mentioned this before. Always Jesus is after original pain. And boy, let me tell you what, if I come in too harshly and I'm just, you got codependency and let's, you know, get rid of this. And I just come in with my hammer and I'm just boom, boom, boom. You know what? Doesn't work. They need experiential love. They need to process pain and hurt. There's a season, a healing process. We call it a season, a divine season when people are willing to seek help. They're willing to get healing. And they need to process their pain with Jesus, not with Stephanie, with Jesus. And I know that and it's a delicate space and place where you sit with someone and make sure you don't become their resource, that you're pointing them to the resource. Boy, do we ever get that wrong sometimes in Christian missionary and, and ministry. Man, we can become the resource just like that. And then people are coming and they're feeding from us. I have a whole different thing on, on Christian leadership and codependency. I was telling, that's what I was teaching over the weekend because it's such a different dynamic in the church when you're pouring out to people, how easy it is to step over and start having people rely on you rather than the resource of him. Do you see what I mean? So some of you that are in, you know, positions where you're giving out, that it's relevant for that as well. Offering and receiving forgiveness, that's the true empowerment that we talked about. Walking into authentic identity is not something you can train or teach yourself to do. It's something you become naturally as the prohibitors inside of you are released. When the barriers that created dis dysfunction and created disconnection in the first place, it's kind of like a pipe being clogged. When you unclog that pipe, in comes the powerful resources that God has stored up for you. He wants to give it to you, but it's just blocked. And so as that blockage is removed, here it comes. And it's ready to, to pour. It's ready to come over you just like a big wave. It's going to come on you. And then you will have a whole different level of understanding of the love of God. Remember we, we listened to in Ephesians. What was he talking about? He, he ain't talking about just this little, I love God and God loves me. He's talking about a radical encounter with the Spirit of God. Setting new boundaries. Do a whole class on that sometime. What's a boundary in Christian church? It's, it's very, very hard. But a boundary just sets a guard around my heart so that I'm not going to just let any old thing in. Guess who has boundaries? Guess who has boundaries? Guess who has boundaries? Guess who designed boundaries? Your Father in heaven, your Jesus, operates for boundaries. Very much so. Love others. 
from a place of excess, not emptiness. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Close your eyes and bow your head. And we'll do a little truth confrontation right now. Truth confrontation is not something a human voice can, can bring you into. It's something the Spirit of God brings you into. And the question we ask to him, and I ask myself this, am I operating from fullness or from emptiness? Are my actions and activities that I'm doing trying to fill something in me that's empty and broken? Or is the activities that I'm doing, is it already in me? Has God already provided it for me? And I'm just giving away what he's put in me. The difference between those are literally day and night. And so we're going to spend a few seconds here in just silence for each of us to just think about that. Think about that space and that hole in your heart, and then I'm going to pray over you. What's in there? God loves you. God loves every single person in this room. But some of you don't have that love in you because you don't know how to receive it. There are many things that are, are creating barriers. We just ask the spirit of almighty God to reveal that in Jesus' name. Revival starts one person at a time. One person at a time shapes one family at a time. One family at a time shapes one community at a time. One community at a time shapes a culture. Are we living with power? Are we living with emptiness? Father, may you fall upon us. May you fill us, Lord God. May you reveal to us anything that's counterfeit, anything that's not in alignment with your goal to love you first, then to love ourselves as you see us, the identity for which you called us to. And then out of fullness, we love others. God, would you train our hearts to know you Would you show us how to sit with you in the quiet places and spaces with no activity to cover us, but only with your spirit to reveal? And Father, may we know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings. May we encounter you experientially outside of our head into our heart. And may you generate a work of grace so profound, Lord, that when people see us, they will know that they know that they know that they know that Jesus is real. And we thank you in advance, Lord. You are a good God. You are a kind God. And we give you all the praise and all the glory for everything you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you guys.
going to ask the ushers if they would come forward to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings, even right now. And, um, you know, a lot of times we'll close with a song. Uh, instead of closing with a song, I would like to have us close with uh, some responsive scripture reading. You can come on down. <laughs>